MSW Media. Hi, this is Harry Lennox from The Blacklist, and you're listening to the five-time keg stand champ of Northeast Philadelphia, Dan Dunn. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's me. That's my cue. I'm on. Hey everybody, I am Dan Dunn, and uh, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn, and what we're drinking, what I'm drinking right now, uh, is some delicious Pinot Noir from Vincent Girardin, uh, who is a producer in Burgundy, and that's in France, we know this. Uh, the wine I'm drinking is a Cuvée St. Vincent 2016, uh, which is a great starting wine for uh, classic red Burgundy. It's very elegant, fruit-driven the reason I've chosen to uh, feature this particular wine on this show is because I think it's a fantastic value at only $30 a bottle. But because of looming tariffs uh, proposed by the Trump administration, the price of this wine could soon double. That's not an exaggeration. It could soon double. And you know what I think of that? Yeah, that's what I think of that. And we're going to be talking about these tariffs a little bit later in the show. I'm going to get into that, tell you what's happening, what it means, and what we can do about it to try to stop it, okay? It is an important thing. It really is. Um, so let me start. I, I went, I just I had a great weekend. I went to San Diego for the weekend to uh, see uh, Tool, the band Tool, at the Viejas Arena at San Diego State University. Uh, and... Uh, what an amazing show that was. It was really, really incredible. Great band. If you've never seen Tool live, uh, do yourself a favor and do it. And, you know, it's just great to go to San Diego. It's it's so close to L.A., although people here are prone to saying it's two hours away. But the, the truth of the matter is it's not two hours away anymore. The traffic sucks. You're not making it to San Diego in less than two and a half hours, and, and you can take up to four. But anyway, I, I got down there pretty good time. Uh, this was at Friday. And I stayed at the Hard Rock Hotel in San Diego. And I got to tell you, you know, obviously the Hard Rock, I think, caters to a younger audience than me. I'm not that old, but, you know. But when it doesn't, when I, when I go there, though, it still feels like a happening. I, I, I think I just have such fond memories from the heyday of the Hard Rock in Vegas. And so the Hard Rock in San Diego feels a lot like the Hard Rock in Vegas back in the day. And it just, you know, it just, it, it, it's like a, uh, it's an event, you know, it's just cool to be there. So I dug it. Um, and as I said, the show was amazing. Um, the day of the show, actually, that uh, Neil Pert from Rush, his death had been announced earlier that day. 
And so uh, at the show, Danny Carey, the drummer for Tool, did a rush-tinged drum solo, which was phenomenal. And during that solo, there was a photo of him and, and Neil Peart projected on the screen behind the stage. Uh, Neil Peart was a big uh, influence and hero to Danny Carey. Uh, Tool also played a, a partial cover of Rush's A Passage to Bangkok. And also when the show ended... Rush's 2112 was uh, playing over the PA, and uh, it was badass, man. It was it was a really great trip, and um, uh, there was some drinking done down there as well. Uh, hmm. And so since I'm in this tool mood, uh, I figured, you know what? I had some, uh, you know, Maynard's a friend. Maynard James Keenan, the lead singer of Tool, is a friend of mine. Uh, if you go to my Instagram at the Imbiber, you will see some photos there as well as some a little bit of footage I shot at the concert. Uh, but I thought, you know what? Let me bust out. I, I my previous show, uh, Drinky Fun Time, who I co-hosted with uh, Emma Patterson, love Emma. We went to Arizona and we uh, did an interview with Maynard uh, there. And we talked a lot about wine. wine uh, Maynard has a winery. He is the winemaker for uh, Caduceus and Merkin. Those are a couple of his labels. He's a fantastic winemaker and he's really done, uh, a lot to put Arizona wines on the map. And he, he's great. It really is. He's great at it and he knows his stuff. So Emma and I were down there and we, we chatted with Maynard and I thought I'd play a little bit of that because I'm feeling tool, baby. I am feeling tool right now. So, um, we say we uh we say I play some of that for you. Little Maynard James Keenan and me and Emma Patterson. Okay. Today, How are you, man? Good. Thanks Good. for having us. Uh thanks for having us here. We are in the laboratory, I guess. This would be the laboratory of the yeah. winery. What happens in here? Is this where uh, the magic happens? Yeah. This is where all the numbers we look at the numbers in here. That's the exciting part. Out there in the bins we're chasing the grapes, we're chasing the ferments, but in here we look at the math. Okay. Uh, and see you do some turkey up. basting. Yeah. I can see turkey basters. Well, you are need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have given me beer at lunch. Your own bloody fault. We did warn you not to give her beer at lunch. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, we have some, so this is where the magic happens in here. This is where you're measuring the numbers and stuff. But really, it's out in the vineyards. And you've got vineyards all over Arizona. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, I've been making wine uh, since 2004. Yeah. Uh, planted vineyards in around 2002, 2001, broke ground in 2001. So it's been a while. I've been yeah. drinking wine for 79 years. 79 years since you were, <laughs> since you were 90. That uh, sounds like a really exciting moment, though. You said when you broke ground. Mm -hmm. Like that was, what is that like? Is that the, the, the second when you're like, this is, I've just bought this plot and this is the moment I find out whether or not it's going to work the problem is you won't find out for several years if oh. that works so that's it's it's uh, equal parts exciting mm. uh and equal parts daunting yeah when yeah. you got into the game there were people saying that it was maybe a little crazy to think that you could make high quality wine in arizona right um yeah you know of course it's always it's always going to be a tipping point at some point but there were already people ahead of me making wine here that was really good so you know i love to take credit for rolling in here and going, I did it. I didn't do it. There's like so many people ahead of me that did it that uh, I've just, big, I, my mouth is bigger. But what's the wine community in Arizona like? Are they welcoming to new competition? Very, 
Very timely question. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Have I just uh, broke new ground? I'm yeah. just gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and say yes. They love. They're lovely we, people. We all love each other. We hug each other. We don't throw each other under the bus, and we support each other. Uh, unconditionally. Unconditionally. Mm. <laughs> Hugs all around. Would you just stop right now and just all hug? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't, instead of hugging, can we just drink some of this wine? Yes, yeah. we can. What is in front of us? Okay, so I threw a couple curveballs on the table here. I like to open up uh, bottles uh, that were recently bottled. This is a 2015 uh, Judith's yeah. Alianico. Uh, I opened it up three days ago. Um, had a little bit of it, and then I put the cork back in because I want to see what happens a few days later. I want to see how it progresses in a bottle. So a lot of times, you know, wine consumers, they, they open the bottle and they drink the bottle. They don't really take this little experiment to see what happens when you put the cork back in and check it out later. So we have that on the table. We also have a 2014 uh, Science barrel project. sample. Basically, that's actually from a concrete tank sample of a garnacha. So this is in a state that you normally as a consumer Whoa. get to see. So it's, it's basically a tank sample. Okay. I do have a question because you said this, you opened this bottle we're about to drink three days ago. Now, some people listening might be like, oh, that's too long. You can't leave red wine that long. What is too long? Vinegar. Depends on the yeah. wine. Yeah. yeah. And that's the point. We're just trying to look at it and see how the, how this is doing, having, so having sat half full. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell, <laughs> right, I'll tell you right now, three days was too well, long. Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely kind of acceptable descriptors for most okay. wine. This particular descriptor, before you haven't tried, uh, the descriptor you, you're, you're going to have to use is wonderful. Yes. Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> and you just exceptional. Give it a look. You should call it Adam Carolla Mangria-like. <laughs> that's Emma's, that's Emma's Hi, Adam. descriptor. Hi, Adam. You're Mangria-like. Thank you. <laughs> Maynard's starting to sweat now. Look at this. Here it comes. Georgie's. All right, here we go. Italian grape, Alianico. Uh, this is off the Judith site right behind the house. Uh, there's that, a couple. That's named for your mom, right? Yeah. 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 There's four, Ooh, that's delicious. four grapes off this block. There's some, obviously, a Bianca, which we do as an orange wine. Uh, we do the uh, Nebbiolo. Uh, we do the Tempranillo and the Alianico. We used to have Cab here, but uh, Pierce's disease took out those vines, so we replaced them with Nebbiolo. Which disease? Pierces. What is that? It's like chlamydia, but worse. <laughs> dirty, yeah. dirty vines. It's really, you don't. If you meet somebody in a bar and they have Pierces disease, stay away. Yeah, from yeah. like it's they're very moldy. Several condoms. Moldy. Um, when you, we were talking earlier off the air about uh, picking grapes. When do you know? Because they, you talk, we talked to a lot of winemakers. But when do you know that it's ready? Is that is that an instinctive thing, or is it you using the science in here to just know? I mean, there's always going to be some kind of a variable each year. That's what that's what makes a site driven a uh, a site driven wine unique. Is that there's going to be something different every year because Mother Nature is never going to give you the same set of uh, ingredients for that year. Sure, um, uh, it's just a, it's just a matter of you really opening yourself up to understanding what you like as far as your palate. Is it comparable to a song? So, you know, how do you know a song's done? You know, I mean, I'm sure you've got songs. I don't think yeah. it's the same. Do you ever, do you ever yeah. just go, no, I need to keep doing this. There I need are songs to keep doing that have been out for decades that I feel aren't finished. Really? Yeah. How do you just say, uh, Bo, producer Bo had said to us earlier, there's a saying about movies, they're not finished, they're just abandoned. Right. Is there just, does it ever come a point where you're doing a song where you say, if I don't stop, Working on this fucking song, I'm going to go crazy. Yeah, so I, absolutely. And, and that, is that usually where? Is that when you know it's time to be yeah, done I mean, with that or some, a record? And some, and I think, um, yeah, I think there's always that feeling in a person like I've got to write the perfect song 
that's going to last forever. And I think that's generally speaking for most of my peers, that's always been kind of the way we approach things. I would imagine for winemakers too, in a way, but I think, you know, you definitely make a shift at some point where you go, I want this to be the best it can be and understand that there's a, there's something about that moment that you're unconscious of. That's a part of that song. Yeah. Uh, if you think you can control all these things, if you think you can manipulate all these things to make the perfect song, you're on fucking drugs. Yeah. Because that's not the case. It just doesn't work that way. Moments happen with or without you. Okay? So yeah. some of these songs that you love, uh, the person might think they were in control, but it could have been a million sets of circumstances that fed into this moment that made that song, made that wine, made that food. So that, that idea that you'll, you'll finish a song, have you ever had a moment when you go, okay, I know that what I just did there is, a, is a, going to be a hit. You, I know you have to feel like it's done. If yeah. you feel like, if you can kind of let go and go, I feel like that thing, song is done, uh, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good place to be in as an artist, to be able to let go. That's the bigger part. Like you did it, you put it out there, or you, you, you finished recording it. You have to be able to just walk away and let it go. And know that, like, no matter what, I'm writing a song tomorrow. So yeah. if this wasn't quite where I wanted it to be, use it as a lesson for the next song. What about the process of naming a wine? Does that take a long time, too? Sometimes. Uh, a lot of it comes if you're, if you're naming some of your wines after family members. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a matter of kind of figuring out uh, what the perfect name is of, the, of their names. First, middle, last, nickname... Right, you kind of want to. You remember the name name of your first wine? Uh, Premier Paso, my first step. I mean, as far as the one I made. Yeah, the first yeah. one you made. Premier Paso. How many? How many have you named? How many different wines you, you've done? You do a lot. You're not. You're not. Yeah, out Caduceus your... and Merkin. If you include Kindred and some of the other stuff we've done, I've probably done thirty SKUs, maybe forty SKUs. I mean, you're you you're doing so much between the music and and writing and performance and. Do you, and, and also, you're very big into uh, is it MMA or is it a kind of fight? I, I just train jujitsu. I'm not jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, does the wine making where does that rate in the scale of it? Because I, I know when you and I've talked before, it seems like this seems to be the thing that you seem most passionate about that you're doing. Well, I think you feel you seem more passionate about a thing that you don't know that much about, and you're trying to figure out more about it. Yeah. Right. So I feel like with the music career. I'm still in that stage where I'm still learning and I'm still puzzling. There's a, a, quite a bit of that process that I feel like I have a little bit of a grip on. There's still an infinite, you know, number of dangling ropes that I can't quite grasp. Yeah. Right? Uh, with the wine and with, um, you know, martial arts, uh, those are far less stable. I'm still learning so much more about those things. So they might seem more like a passion because you're still trying to learn it. So you're actively you know, chasing farts, basically. Chasing farts. Speaking of farts. No, no. <laughs> I have an adult question. How did you come to name your wines Merkin? Oh, see? So oh, and I bet there's an adult okay. answer to yeah, this. Yeah, but you know Let's what? Yeah. So, so adult question. We're going to go from fart. To talking about why we named the wine Merkin. Okay. Adult. Okay, yes. adult. Can you please tell my mom what Merkin means? And everyone else's mother who's out there listening. Back a, uh, back in the early touring days, um, I would ha- my hotel name was Harry Merkin. Only because I knew what that meant and I thought it was funny. It is funny, <laughs> if um, you know what it means. Most people didn't know what it was. Um, so, Wikipedia. Oh, you, you can't Wikipedia. Better to read Go it. On. All right, okay. A Merkin 
Yes. Reading it word for word right here, a merkin is a pubic wig. Merkins were originally worn by prostitutes, Dan, yes. after <laughs> shaving their genitalia and are now used as decorative items, erotic devices, or in films. Bo. <laughs> by both men and women. Bo. <laughs> the female version is usually made of fur, beaver pelt, linen, or some soft beaver version pelt? of cloth. See, we're learning something here. Get it? Um, <laughs> while the male version is usually made of loops, chains, or metal, and is much more loosely related to a codpiece. <laughs> My mom knows what a codpiece is, don't you, mother? <laughs> She's not here, by the way. There. I won't go into more of the history or etymology of that. I okay. will just leave that dangling. Dangling. <laughs> and, oh, bum, bum. You're not going to sound for that. Where's your sound board here? Where's your sound? Right? Oh, that's the wrong way. No, it's not. Yeah. And that was Maynard James Keenan talking it up. Wine. Love that guy. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Now we're going to get on to uh, the topic of the day. Wine. Wine, 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 wine. Um, As I mentioned at the top of the show, um, the uh, wine industry is in a panic the Trump administration is threatening to impose 100% tariffs on all wines imported from the European Union. So what does this mean? Well, to be clear, if such a tariff uh, did come to pass, it will spell disaster for the beverage and hospitality industry here in the States. A 100% tariff would double the price of wines in stores and in restaurants. This is legit scary, folks, okay? Uh, To give you an example, here are just some of the recent headlines about this. The Wall Street Journal headline said, How tariffs could devastate the wine world. CNN's Trump's proposed wine tariffs will hurt Americans, not the French. The LA Times had a headline that said, Wine industry faces dramatic and calamitous impact with Trump administration's proposed tariffs. So you get the picture. Um... From the consumer standpoint, having to pay double for your favorite bottle of Beaujolais will totally suck. But at least you have options to purchase wines made elsewhere, like here in the States. Uh, But what's genuinely alarming about the prospect of these tariffs is the American jobs that are going to be lost and the businesses that will disappear. And make no mistake, that will happen. Hmm. I'm going to calm myself down with some wine right now. Um, Look, there are a lot of businesses that rely on European wine. We're talking about importers, distributors, restaurants, retail shops. Then there are the people who physically uh, transport, handle these wines, dock workers, truck drivers, forklift operators, you name it. And uh, there are so many people that are going to take a massive hit if this happens, and a lot of them aren't going to be able to withstand it, okay? The tariff doesn't have a timeline for implementation, but an open comment period just closed on January 13th. That's actually today. I'm recording the show is going up tomorrow. Um, but the fear is that the implementation is imminent. Um, 
This tariff comes uh, after the U.S. slapped a 25% tariff last fall on $7.5 trillion worth of European Union goods uh, in retaliation for what the World Trade Organization ruled was an illegal uh, European subsidy to uh, the aircraft maker Airbus. It's a French aircraft maker. And so in December, the Trump administration uh, proposed this 100% tariff in retaliation for a French tax on U.S. tech companies like Google, okay? Um, in case you're wondering why Trump singled out wine in a dispute over industry and technology, well, like a lot of what Trump does, nobody knows. Uh, he ain't saying. Uh, maybe it's because he doesn't drink. I don't know. But he does own a winery in Virginia, so you'd think he'd have a fondness for it. But um, again, I'm not going to try to get inside that guy's head. Uh, what I am sure about, though, is that despite what Trump and his administration says, Europe's not going to be paying the price for this tariff. Um, American consumers and businesses will. And it's going to fucking hurt. Uh, Hugh Atchison, uh, the chef, he's a famous chef. You've seen him on TV. A uh, friend of mine, he's been on my, uh, he was on Drinky Fun Time, the previous show, uh, a couple of times. And uh, he actually put up an Instagram post and I, I dug it up and I think he really kind of nailed it. Okay, here's what Hugh had to say on Instagram. These tariffs are being placed upon farmers and other smaller purveyors in a dispute between Boeing and Airbus over government subsidies to be paid toward a multinational corporation through taxes upon these products. While we've already been experiencing ta tariffs upward of 25% on French wines, the proposed tariffs will span Europe and can go upward of 100%. If this all goes through, that glass of super cool wine you loved will now be an untenable $22 a glass when it used to be $14. The automatic assumption that this uh, will help U.S. winemakers gain ground and be a boon to their business, but those same winemakers are the most vocal critics of these burdensome taxes. They respect diversity in the wine world and realize the importance of reflecting that diversity in a broad portfolio of offerings in the marketplace. These tariffs are not just about the price of fine wines increasing. Many of these wines will disappear from restaurant lists and retail shelves because we will not be able to afford to import them. Once the producers we all love shift their allocations to other countries, i.e. China, Japan, other countries in the EU that are chomping at the bit to acquire them, it could take years, if not decades, to rebuild those relationships and reroute that business back to the U.S. Our wine culture, so rich and diverse right now, will be stifled, and consumer choice along with it. These tariffs will do little to impact the companies and countries they are intended to target. The people who will suffer the most are the American workers and business owners who import distribute buy and sell these products that's what hugh atchison had to say and i agree wholeheartedly with every word of that so now it comes down to what can we do as i mentioned the public comment period just ended but you can still do something about it uh email your congressperson uh, if you go to the national association of wine retailers site They've already set up links for that. You can put in where you live. It'll connect you. There's templates there for what you can email. You can go to change.org and sign the Save American Wine Jobs petition that is up there. 
Uh, you can post about this on social media. You know, get your wine-loving friends and family fired up about this. I mean, it's important. Jobs are going to be lost. You know, wine is going to be lost. And that, friends, is an upsetting prospect. It really is. I, 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 I just, it makes me, oh, yeah, it makes me feel like that. That's what it makes me feel like. Um, and so, you know, I beseech you to take action. I know people always say, you know, oh, write your Congress. But you know what? But do it. Because once this goes down, if this does go down, I I really do fear that there's no going back um, anytime soon. And that is going to be a real goddamn shame. Uh, so with that said, I uh, yeah, I'm, I think it's probably time to call it a show. I want to uh, thank you, first and foremost, for tuning in. I want to thank Maynard James Keenan. I want to thank Emma Patterson, my former host of Drinky Fun Time. I listen to those clips and I just miss her terribly. Uh, I want to thank uh, Vincent Jardine for this wine that I'm enjoying. And again, uh, go check it out. It's it's J uh, G I R A R D I N. Uh, go to uh, follow me on uh, the Instagram at the Imbiber, Twitter at the Imbiber. Comments, questions, suggestions, it's all welcome. And as I said, I'm going to have some pictures up there of Maynard. So if all those Tool fans, all those Maynard James Keenan's out fans out there, go check that out. And I will catch you on the flippity flip. <laughs> <laughs>